during these services, we have been looking at the Gospel of John and thinking together of the last week in the life of Jesus. It is interesting to note that the heart of each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, deal extensively with that last week. For example, in the book of John, chapter 1 is the prologue, Jesus is the living word. Then beginning in chapter 2, through the last part of chapter 12, we have his public ministry. Then chapter 13 through 19, his private ministry with his disciples, his crucifixion, then chapter 20, his resurrection. Well, after all the things he had done in the upper room, I think beginning in chapter 13, he met with his disciples, he washed their feet, he began to tell them about his death on the cross. And there were a lot of tears, hurt. And that's when Jesus gave us that most beautiful passage, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Whither I go, you know on the way. And you know, and Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And in those few six verses, Jesus said so much. I could preach an hour on that passage tonight. I'm tempted to, but I want to go on. Remember, right after that, Jesus begins to talk about the vine and the branches. In chapter 15, he said, you're, you're the branches, I'm the vine. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it will be done to you. Then he said, remember, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Then in chapter 16, he talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Greatest sin. The greatest sin is not bank robbery. It is not murder. It is not rape. The greatest sin is the sin of unbelief. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction about that as the Word of God is given. And he said, of sin because they belong to me. Of righteousness, I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Like Mark Biggles sings, sometimes we're on the winning side. We're on the winning side. Battle's already been won. We're just moving in on some of the skirmishes and the battles. It's like when Joshua crossed the Jordan River, God said, I'll give you this land. You just go and take it. The battle belongs to the Lord. So it is with our lives. Then in chapter 17, we looked at last, the other, last week, and in chapter 17 is the intercessory prayer. This is really the Lord's prayer. Sometimes we think Matthew 6, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We think that's the Lord's prayer. Actually, that's the model prayer. That shows us how to pray, what to pray. The disciples came and said, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. So the Lord taught him, taught that prayer. 
Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed, the, the different elements of prayer. When we come to John 17, Jesus is facing the cross. He's deeply moved. And he says, I pray for these, but not these alone, but all those who will hear through their word. That includes you and me. He prayed for us. He still prays for us. The Holy Spirit here tells God what's in our heart. And the Holy Spirit there tells us what's in the heart of God. That's the power of prayer. Then we come to chapter 18. The upper room experience is finished. And Jesus and his disciples go down across the brook Kidron over into Gethsemane's garden. This section of scripture is one of the most touching in all the Bible. John 18:1 says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. Those who have been to Jerusalem have been in that garden. There may be buildings there that weren't there long ago, but there are some of the ancient fig trees that are still there. Someone pointed to one, one of the guides pointed to one and said that tree is over 2,000 years old. It's very possible that Jesus prayed under that tree. It is right across the brook Kidron. And in Mark, uh, rather Luke, chapter, Luke uh, chapter 22 of Luke, we have a little bit more of this same story beginning in verse 39. He came out and went as he was, went want to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed. Now, Gethsemane is right at the foot of Mount of Olives. When you, when you go out of Jerusalem, go down the road, you cross the Brook Kidron, and then you start up the little Mount of Olives. And right at the, uh, the lower part of the Mount of Olives is Gethsemane. And there are old fig trees there and other kinds of trees. They built a church there over the place where they say Jesus knelt on that rock. He came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. He said, Father, if thou wilt be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The same story is told in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 32. They came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I pray. He taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tear ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. 
And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith to Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. <clears throat> we come to the distinct change in the narration of the life of Christ. There have been wonderful, great epochs. Christ has always been master of every situation. And now the climax, perhaps it's at midnight. The great question, will Christ go all the way? The feast of the Passover is just over. Christ has finished the Last Supper meal and the broken bread is in the new covenant. Christ and the disciples have left the upper room. They've left Jerusalem. On the eastern side of Jerusalem, the ground slopes downward to the bed of the brook Kidron. And on the farther side of the stream rises the Mount of Olives. The side of the hill was laid out in gardens or orchards belonging to the inhabitants of the city. Gethsemane was one of these. There is no probability that the enclosure now pointed out to pilgrims at the foot of the hill is the possible spot or possibly a little bit above that place. It is possible that some of those ancient olive trees are the same trees. Now, sometimes we say, I'll go with him through the garden. One of the great invitation hymns that's ever been written, I can hear my Savior calling, take thy cross and follow me. The second stanza says, I'll go with him through the garden. If we go with Jesus through the garden, that means we're going to go where he prayed and where he wept and where he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. The writer of Hebrews tells us to lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set out at the right hand of the Father. And he says, you have not yet resisted unto blood. I believe that's a reference to Gethsemane. Jesus wrestled and, and he wrestled with what was going to happen. Remember, Jesus was all human and all divine. That blows our minds. We can't understand it. Most fundamental Christians have no problem focusing on the deity of Jesus. We know he was God in human flesh. But sometimes we have a little trouble recognizing that he was human. He was tempted in all points like we're tempted, and yet without sin. Temptation in every part of Jesus' life. When he first began his ministry, the devil tempted him. He hungered and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the devil came and said, well, if you're really the son of God, why don't you turn this piece of rock into a bread and eat it because I know you're hungry. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the throne of God. And then he said, well, why don't you cast yourself down from this big pinnacle? It is written that God will not let any bone be broken. He'll give his angels charge over thee. And Jesus said, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. 
He answered those temptations with the word. How tremendous when we learn the lesson that we cannot overcome the devil in our own power. We don't have the strength. A lot of times we try to match wits with the devil. We get in a place where the Satan really tempts us to do something and instead of fleeing to the rock, well then to the rock let me fly, to the rock that is higher than I. Instead of doing that, we give in to our base nature. We argue back, we cuss back, we swear back, we get involved in sexual sins, we get involved in all kinds of things, in cheating and, and so on. Because I'm talking about saved people because we don't go to the rock that is higher than I. And the writer of Hebrews says, keep looking to Jesus. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Well, in this garden experience, Jesus said, uh, one of the gospels tells us he left most of his disciples toward the front of the garden. Then he took Peter, James, and John, those that he knew he could trust. Are you somebody God can really trust? Are you somebody that, that the people can trust and rely upon? He took Peter, James, and John. He, he said, now you pray here while I go yonder and pray. Well, he went out. And I don't know whether that rock that we see there in Jerusalem is the same rock. It's a huge place. They've got a church and an altar built over it. But it certainly is moving to think that Jesus put himself down on that rock. And in great agony of soul, said, not my will, but thine be done. Now the Lord here was talking about the cross the next day. The cross was settled at Gethsemane. Our, our, redeem, our redemption was settled at Gethsemane. Sometimes we glide over this and go to the next chapters and deal with the cross, and we need to and we will. But the cross was settled here. When Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. And Lord, if it would be possible that this cup might pass from me. Now some have imagined different things about what that means. Some have thought that Jesus was saying, Lord, I don't want to die on the cross. I want you to deliver me from that. Others have experienced that perhaps Jesus was saying, dear Lord, the devil is tempting me again. He's trying to get me to avoid the cross and to pull divine power when those men come after me to just mow them down or to send for the angels of God to come and help me. I don't know all that was involved in that. I know the devil would like to have killed Jesus in the garden. We wouldn't have had a savior. But Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. That's what you and I need to say. When we say, I'll go with him through the garden, we're saying, Lord, the garden was a place of great temptation, great agony, and yet a yieldedness to the will of God. As we go through the garden with Jesus, are we willing to yield to the will of God? Let's each of us constantly say, Lord, what is your will for me today? What is your will for me as I follow you? Well, 
Jesus finished that prayer and he came back and found Peter, James, and John asleep. They were so human. And the Lord said, could you not stay awake an hour? Apparently he'd been over an hour praying. Could you not stay awake an hour and pray with me? He went back and prayed again. He came back a second time and they'd gone to sleep again. And Jesus said, it's all right now. Arise, they're coming. I want you to think for just a moment what Jesus was saying to those disciples about praying. He said, uh, you need to be awake. You need to be awake. Watch and pray. The word watch means watch. It's like a watchman on the wall. During times of war, when a watchman doesn't do his duty and goes to sleep, sometimes they court-martial him. Sometimes they shoot him. So he said, we're watchmen. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Well, in order to watch, we need to be awake. And I will just uh, suggest two or three things we need to be awake to. Number one, we need to be awake to ourself. Self's selfishness. Let that sink in. Everyone in our room tonight has a, a problem with selfishness. We need to be awake of that. Remember it. So that when all these desires come and the temptations come, we'll recognize them for what they are, their self. We need to be awake to self's weakness and sin. Peter thought he was pretty strong. He wasn't strong enough. We all have two natures. There's a carnal nature and a spiritual nature. God does not always look upon weakness lightly. He urges watchfulness and prayer. He recognizes it and he asks us to do something about it. Wise is that person who can recognize his own weakness in sin. That's the reason the Hebrew writer said, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Some believe that, that that sin is lack of faith because it's given right after chapter 11, the men of faith. Others believe that that means each one of us has an area of weakness or an area that, where, there, where a certain sin is more uh, tempting to us than some other person, that it might be to some other person. And so he says, know yourself, be awake. Be awake to that sinister sin that would try to crush you and gobble you up and tear you down and put your honor in the dust and make you defeated and discouraged. And then he says, uh, be awake to the awfulness of sin. We live in a world where everybody sins. We live in a world where sin is winked at and laughed at and, and so on. I hear these programs on the radio. Not, I don't even have a television, but on the radio, it gets so raw. They tell some dirty, filthy, suggestive thing, and they all laugh at it on these, some of these talk shows. Well, that's tragic. Sin isn't to be laughed at. It's terrible. It's heinous. God hates sin. And we need to be awake to the fact that God hates sin. Then secondly, we need to be awake to the world around us. All is not running smoothly. Don't be lulled into thinking everything's going to be fine. We have a good economy right now. 
That's wonderful. But what about when the economy isn't so good? What do we do then? All is not running smoothly. Don't be too optimistic. We're living in days that try men's souls. Right tonight, while we have perfect freedom in America, in Cuba they don't have that kind of freedom. And our nation and our government leaders are trying to send that little boy back to slavery in Cuba. We need to pray about that. You know what happened in World War II? America didn't do very much at first when Hitler started the war in Germany and Austria and Czechoslovakia and took over all that Eastern Europe, took over France, took over Italy, all that Axis area. We heard by the grapevine and I think our intelligence knew this. They were putting Jews in boxcars and sending them over to death camps. Most Americans knew nothing about that. In Germany, some of the churches knew about it and said nothing. You know why? Because they had the idea that a preacher should not take a stand against evil in the government. We have that same thing going on today. Have you noticed how the press is against the right-wing fundamentalists? And all the mean, honorary things they said about that man that went over and spoke at Bob Jones University? We're living in an age just like that. And they said nothing. And then when they came after the Christians, there was nobody to say anything. There's never been a time in American history that I'm aware of and I've tried to study history where Christians were more looked down upon than today. I'm talking about real Christians. The theme today seems to be tolerance and pluralism. Remember, we're a pluralistic society. Forget about who founded America and after all, all the heroes, they shoot them down, tell all the lurid, ugly stories they can about them. Most of them not true. If any of them are true, those men, many of those men repented. I read you the story about George Washington last Sunday. There was an article in the paper a few weeks ago that Sir George Washington was an evil man, wasn't a Christian, and so on. I read to you the story from New York First Baptist Church that he was baptized into the fellowship of that church after the Revolutionary War. You can say anything bad about Christians you want to, but don't sing bad against black people or women or homosexuals. Don't you dare say anything about them. Christians, they're fair game. Look down on them. That's what happened in the first century. And that's what Jesus is warning us of. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. We need to be awake to the world around us, the crisis of our day, the important decisions that are coming upon us. Awake that we might sound the alarm. Don't wake up too late. Don't wake up too late. I thank the Lord for Paul Revere. <laughs> I don't know whether the history still teaches that or not. I know one guy in here had to read the story of Paul Revere. 
but they, they try to change it a little bit. Paul Revere was a faithful, faithful man. And he learned that the British were coming. Now we're friends with the British today, but then the British were trying to drive us off this continent. They heard the British were coming. So they had a signal in the North Church Tower. They said, if the British are coming, we'll shine a certain light and then I'll go and wake everybody in the village. They waited and waited and waited. It was about midnight and they shone that light and Paul Revere took off and he warned everybody in the village and in other towns, the British are coming. And they were able to take a stand so that British did not win that day. Now you and I need to be awake. The time the devil hurts us the most is when we're dead spiritually or sick spiritually. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of truth. Will you say, I'll go with him through the garden? That means, Lord, I'm going to be awake to what's going on in our world. I'm going to take a stand. Having done all, I'll stand. I'll find out what God's Word teaches, and I'm going to stand there. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for our dear Lord Jesus, who went through the garden, the awful agony of prayer, sweating, as it were, great drops of blood in order to overcome the temptation that the devil was putting in his face. The temptation to run away, the temptation to avoid the cross. Thank you, Lord, that he didn't yield. We pray you will give us that same power that we can say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And when we fail, when we fumble the ball, we have to sit over on a bench. Dear Lord, put in our hearts a motivation and a drive to come on back and get on the team again and get going for God. Help us, dear Lord, we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. What are we singing? 350. I can hear the Savior calling, take thy cross and follow me. If the Lord has spoken to your heart about